Welcome to Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Today, episode 17 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Skugel. To cultivate purity, we should consider the dignity of our nature. Next, to purify our souls and disentangle our affections from the pleasures and enjoyments of this lower life, let us frequently give thought to the dignity of our own human nature. What a shameful and unworthy thing it is for such a noble and divine creation as the soul of man to be sunk and immersed in sordid and sensual lusts or amused by such effervescent and inconsequential delights as so frequently occupy our attention. For it is in this way that someone loses their desire for solid spiritual pleasures. The animal within is fed and pampered while the Christian man starves. If we were to be more conscious of who we are and the purpose for which we were made, then we would learn in the right way to reverence and stand in awe of ourselves. This would result in modesty, not to say shamefacedness, and would make us very shy and reserved in the pursuit of even the most innocent and permissible pleasures. We should meditate often on the joys of heaven, The same objectives will be effectively served if we frequently raise our minds toward heaven and bring to mind the joys that are at God's right hand, for there are pleasures that endure forever. Every man that has this hope in him purifies himself, even as God himself is pure. If our heavenly home is often in our thoughts, it will make us abstain from the fleshly appetites that war against the soul. For as strangers and pilgrims, we ought to keep ourselves unspotted by the world, fit for the enjoyments and happiness of heaven. We must also see to it that our views of heaven are not themselves worldly and carnal. Were we to think of it in terms of a physical paradise and concentrate too strongly upon the metaphors and symbols by which the joys of heaven are sometimes represented, This might have an adverse effect. It might entangle us in carnal affections and would be all too ready to indulge ourselves in a very liberal foretaste of those pleasures that are to be the source of our everlasting happiness. But when we come to think aright about pure spiritual pleasures, when the happiness that we contemplate is derived from the sight and love and enjoyment of God, and our minds are filled with hopes and anticipation of that blessed estate, oh, how unpleasant and contemptible will all things here below appear in our eyes. We shall then reject with disdain the spurious and contaminated pleasures that would lead us to be deprived of celestial enjoyments or render us unfit to receive them. Humility arises from consideration of our failings. The last branch of religion is humility, and we will never lack material for consideration as to our need for it. 
all our wickedness, imperfections, follies, and sins ought to help us tear down the foolish and overweening conceit that we are apt to have of ourselves. The thing that creates our esteem in the eyes of others is their knowledge or appreciation of some little good in us and their ignorance of a great deal of our sin. Were they to be thoroughly acquainted with us, then they would quickly change their opinion. For if the thoughts that pass through our minds were exposed to public view, even during the most worthy or serious day of our life, then we would be rendered either hateful or ridiculous to others. However much we may conceal our failings from one another, surely we are conscious of them ourselves. Some serious reflection upon them ought to qualify and allay the vanity of our spirits. For it is in this way that holy persons have come to think more modestly of themselves than of any other person in the world. Such people are more intent on dealing with their own shortcomings than those of their neighbors, and they give careful thought to all the circumstances that aggravate temptation, as well as to those that might reduce or alleviate moral weakness. Thoughts of God give us the lowest thoughts about ourselves. It has been well observed by a writer with great spiritual integrity that the deepest and purest humility does not so much arise from considering our own faults as it does from calm and quiet contemplation of the divine purity and goodness. Our spots never appear so clearly as when we put them under the infinite light. We never see them less in our own eyes than when we look down upon ourselves from on high. Oh, how small and inconsequential do all those shadows of perfection for which we are so disposed to value ourselves then appear. The humility that comes from a view of our own sinfulness and misery is powerful, but a perspective on the nature of God may lay us just as low without inflicting anguish and vexation upon us, as our souls are apt to suffer when our inner selves are subject to close and honest examination. Prayer, another instrument of religion, and the advantages of mental prayer. There remains yet another means for developing a holy and religious disposition in the soul, and that is fervent and hearty prayer. Holiness is the gift of God, indeed, the greatest gift he bestows, or we are capable of receiving, and he has promised his Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. In prayer we make the nearest approaches to God and lie open to the influences of heaven. It is then that the Son of Righteousness visits us with his most direct rays, dissipating our darkness and imprinting his image on our souls. I cannot emphasize too strongly the advantages of the exercise of prayer or the ways in which it ought to be practiced. There is no need for me to do so, there being so many books that deal with the subject. 
I will tell you only that there is one sort of prayer in which we make use of the voice. It is necessary in public and may occasionally have its own advantages in private. And there is another in which, although we may not utter any sound, yet we may conceive the expressions and form the words in our minds. Finally, there is a third and more sublime form of prayer in which the soul takes a higher path. Having gathered itself together by long and serious meditation, it soars toward God in sighs and groans and thoughts, too expansive to be expressed. For example, after deep contemplation of the divine perfections portrayed in all his wondrous works, the soul addresses God with the most profound adoration of his majesty and glory. Or again, after sad reflection on its vileness and misconduct, it prostrates itself before him in great distress and sorrow, not daring to lift up its eyes or utter one word in God's presence. Or again, when, having considered the beauty of holiness and the unspeakable well-being of those who are truly good, the soul pants after God and conveys to him such vigorous and ardent desires that mere words are insufficient to express. Such prayer often continues, for as long as a person finds himself upheld by the force and impulse of earlier meditations. Such mental prayer is, above others, the most effectual in purifying the soul and in disposing it to holiness and a true religious spirit. It may be regarded as the great secret of devotion and one of the most powerful instruments of the divine life. It may be that the apostle gave it special importance when he said, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, or as the original may be translated, that cannot be put into words. Romans 8.26 However, I do not recommend that this last form of prayer should supersede use of the others, for we have so many things to pray for, and every petition requires so much time and such great commitment of spirit that it is not easy to accomplish them all. This says nothing of the fact that the deep sighs and heavings of the heart that so frequently accompany such prayer are sometimes exhausting to the spirit, making it hard to continue for too long. However, I have no doubt that even a few such spiritual breathings will do far more than a great many fluent, not to say poetic and eloquent, expressions. Religion is to be advanced by the same means by which it is begun, and the use of the Holy Sacrament. And so, my dear friend, I have briefly proposed the way that I judge to be most effective in molding the soul in holiness. The same means that serve to create the divine temperament must continue to be practiced for strengthening and advancing the same endeavor.
This concludes episode 17 of The Life of Christ in the Soul by Henry Scoogle.